Ladies and gentlemen, I am leaving this message at the beginning of this fellowship broadcast. There was some trouble on the uh, conference fellowship, and I downloaded my audio to clean up the audio since it was live and take some of that uh, dead airspace and and so, so forth out. So there still are a few glitches in there as you get a little later into the fellowship and uh, hopefully this will at least prompt you to why those are there. So thanks for listening and hope you enjoy it. Well, good evening. Thanks for joining the Gideon Warrior Network here on the talk show. And this is Tuesday, December 25th, 2018. Like to go to our Heavenly Father in prayer. Heavenly Father, I do thank you for the opportunity to to fellowship with those that are yours, love and trust and abide in you, seeking to do your will, honoring your name, trusting in your promises. Father, I thank you for all those that are in need of protection as they travel and see family and friends. This is that day and a period of days in which the world has has ceased their labors and allowed man to reacclimate himself to family and to reacquaint himself with grandchildren and those that they don't see as often. So, Father, I do pray for their travels as they continue in their travels over the next day or two as well. Praying for those that are with child, that you'll be with them in that hour and in those days as well, that they be completely protected and be nurtured in your care as they bring forth new fruit of the womb and those that desire to bring them forth in honor and remembrance of you. Father, I ask for your blessing upon this fellowship tonight. Things that were laid on my heart. Father, I know that your spirit touches us in different ways and at different times. And this seemed to be what your spirit touched me. And so, Father, I come before those this evening in the fellowship, share a message with them that It's my prayer they'll find edifying, and I ask for your blessing upon it. I ask for you to give me words and more thoughts than I came to already and more of your word to share with them this evening. I ask these things in the blessed holy name of Jesus Christ. Give me thanks always for all the wonderful working, your wonderful creation, your wonderful blessings that you grant us and bestow upon us in spite of ourselves. Thank you. Yeah. Well, as I say, good evening. Uh, this day, like so much of what Christians or stands for Christ has become an object of ridicule. And to some, it's mired or steeped in heathen or pagan traditions for others, and yet more become confused, disheartened, and isolated. 
with the available information that we now have at our fingertips through the abundance of literature and the printed word, and to no insignificant degree, the advent of the Internet. A Christian finds himself or herself as stuck in the fog of fake information as anything we can point to in our secular surroundings. As Christians increasingly learn of many biblical truths, and indeed many, which are designed to shake one's faith. I hear more and more and perceive the need that is heightened to share and convey more biblically minded the thoughts necessary to bring those thoughts captive to the cares of the world and to strengthen the bond of faith. This day, the 25th of December, which the world has called Christmas, is no less an enigma. For my part, let me say this. While I may of necessity need to refer in passing to some of the plagues that have beset this day and the world's name for it, I do not intend for this fellowship to be wholly or solely focused on those plagues, but rather a custom worth remembering. So I've titled this fellowship message, Cultural Norms and a Custom to Remember. In vain do men and women, of course, whatever their particular persuasion, attempt to justify what's not biblical. But what is unequivocally absent from the biblical record is any command by Christ, God in the flesh, to observe the birthday of Israel's Redeemer. So right now I can hear it happening some are going to immediately say, well, this is obviously going to be a bash Christmas message. So if one is from that persuasion, the years close and the listening ceases. We're so much a product of the preconceived notions, beliefs, propaganda, and ideas that we seldom allow anything to seep into our own thoughts, which would securely enable us to the liberty that we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ. All of us can go anywhere to find the roots and the truth of the day, December 25th, and the term Christmas or Christ Mass. Whether you go to the recordings of Catholic encyclopedias, internet searches, and a host of other historical records concerning both the day and the term. Only a diligent search will provide the fruits which will unequivocally give one a substantial foundation of the facts. The fruit of those searches reveal the Cordo de Simeon or quarter decimen, as they were called, 
they were the early Christians, they observed and they got that name because of the Passover, the Passover of Nisan 14, Nisan being the first day of the month that Israel was commanded to keep in the 14th day of the first month of Nisan was the Passover. This was the time of a, a renewal. It was the passing over. It was a new beginning, which they had in the exodus from Egypt. It likewise is the Passover of the Lamb, the Lamb of Christ. Hopefully we'll get into that here as the message winds up. Much of the main events of the life of Christ was celebrated, acknowledged, and observed at this time. And so much so was it hated that Pope Victor I tried to excommunicate these early Christians who became known as the Cordo Decimans. Now, I know that most of you, and I'm sure a lot of you probably are familiar with Jeremiah chapter 10, verses 1 through 25. I'm not sure if I'll go there due to time, but this is the scripture that is often um, noted by many who have been searching their Bibles diligently and have come to certain truths and have come to recognize certain things. This is a, this is a scripture which it refers to a tree being cut down by the hand of the, work of the, ha- the workman with an axe decking it with gold and silver. And as I say, I don't think I'll go to it now, but any of you can go to it later and and read it, and then that might cause you some questions, and it, it might cause some reflection, if nothing else. So I've heard some say that it's referring to an idol, or and that actually that gold and silver is plating it, etc. But they never answer the question, well, why would you need to fasten it so it didn't move? And so I think you get the idea of how one can look at it and therefore have the questions that many Christians have come to in their mind. Oh, my. Is this thing that we know as Christmas and the customs that we've adopted something that is right out of Jeremiah chapter 10? But then others will go into the term of mass and they'll say, well, it just is low Latin for missa, meaning leisure, and like also in the Latin, the the word F-E-R-I-O-E, hence a feast. Um, So in the low Latin meaning uh, leisure or uh, holiday, feast holiday, it therefore is a, a feast from labors or a leave from labors, and that's good. Or they'll add that the Latin missa, M-I-S-S-A, also means that sent. So in other words, we are saying Christ sent. And so therefore, Christ was sent, as Galatians 4.4 tells us, and certainly then Christ sent us, Matthew 28, in the Great Commission. And then there's still others that are more adamant date protagonists of December 25th, being a Roman solar holiday, Dies Natalis Solus Invicti, 
in honor of the sun god, Sol Invictus, a Roman worship and belief in Saturnalis. Well, again, unequivocally, the historical record of this is clearly the springboard of that worship and that winter festival. So some would say, well, Christmas replaced a pagan holiday. So that's good. But that would actually be similar to an Israelite saying, well, gee, God, we, we went into these lands and we tried to Israelite these people uh, or Christianize them in you know, New Testament vernacular. And they just wouldn't listen to us and we just fell into their ways. Well, the question was, in God's point of view, <laughs> what was it? Did he appreciate it or did he not appreciate it? Did he value it or did he disvalue it? We could say, well, perhaps their ways were just funner to God or they were less restrictive to the expansion of our minds, obviously meaning our desires. Did it replace one or did it give us a reason to celebrate or acknowledge one in the name of Christ? So that's another thing is that some would say, well, you know, we observe it for Christ's sake and for Christ's name. And so the theory and the justification always goes that Christmas is not a pagan holiday. Does it have pagan traditions? Oh, of course, they'll say. Our whole culture has many customs of our past. Our calendar itself has names of planets and gods and goddesses as examples. We don't worship them, they'll say. Well, by the same token, I heard one individual actually go to a witch's calendar to determine whether or not December 25th was on the witch's calendar. Well, I can tell you of a certainty, I would not go to a witch's calendar to discern whether December 25th was on their calendar or their wheel or whatever it is. But it's been said. In Isaiah chapter 66, verses 3 to 5, God warns us about doing these things by rote or custom and about not being in accordance with God's will. Also, we'll find in Isaiah chapter 1, 11 through 16, Amos 4, 4 to 5, 5 and 21 and to 7. These are all other scriptures where God declared his displeasure with the Israelite customs and feasts and further the consequences. And what I want to remind you is how long he endured them. If Yahweh our God had intended us to feast and observe a day, would he not give us an instruction and a command as he did in Exodus 12, Leviticus 23, Numbers 28, Deuteronomy 16? But in spite of this biblical truth, still others retort and offer another disconsorting aspect 
which is the disregard of the problematic cultural, excuse me, cultural customs and the traditions and extol that others are just purists or legalists. They might even cite Romans 14, 1 Corinthians 23, Titus 1 to 15. In other words, all things are pure, all things are lawful, basically inferring that these others are not fully trained. I wonder what they think of the prophets who warned Israel of her ways. Having liberty in Christ is not liberty to sin, and many Christians are learning more about pagan or heathen activities and rituals being enshrined in their worship and celebrations or observ uh, observances. And they're indeed trembling at this, indeed in the love of Christ, trembling at his word. So it's our duty to Christ and one another to edify each other, lest we fall also. As a Christian, even having the thought is a good thing. It inspires us to cast down every imagination and high thing which exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ as we are admonished at 2 Corinthians 10.5. This is in fact part of the third wall Martin Luther espoused in the first principles of the Reformation. Quote, the third wall falls of itself as soon as the first two have fallen. For if the Pope acts contrary to the scriptures, we are bound to stand by the scriptures, to punish and to constrain him according to Christ's command. So we look at today's church leaders and elders as well, and we have to likewise consider are we bound to stand by while customs of Christ or customs of Christians are paganized? This conscience, in fact, requires us to question one's sanctification so as to give pause to the glory that we perfect ourselves as your Father in heaven is perfect. Matthew 5.48 What Christian wants to be so imperfect as to be found doing the imperfect? And so it is with Christmas. If one speaks of the pagan or incorrect beliefs or aspects of a custom or a cultural norm, these are often scorned and viewed as legalists or purists, even anti-Christian. Often those with these retorts fail to see the error of their own argument. Well, the birth of Christ is the 25th, not Saturnalis. Or if it not, it was certainly done for cultural reasons of the day. So essentially, the, quote, day of the 25th 
observers are saying, well, we didn't create the day, it's just the, the observance is done on that day, i.e., an example, we didn't create the pot, we're just commemorating the creation of it. And so they get to project the world as modeling the church by observing the day, the 21st, not the church modeling the world. And that's a common Catholic attribution, I might add. Those espousing the date of the 25th of December will go to great lengths citing the 354 calendar of the emperors of Rome containing festivals and dates, but they'll forget to tell you that that calendar was the dates and festivals of the cults of Sibel and Isis. And they'll fail to inform you that it contains nothing of Christian festival. They might try to use Aurelian of 274 and Constantine in 312 and even Julius Africanus of 160 to 240, citing creation as being in the spring or the spring equinox and then connecting it with December 25th in some fashion that it would be nine months after the creation or the birth of Christ at that time in spring. Never minding the problem that there is with the shepherds being out in the fields at that time of year, which would not be customary, So if this date and time was God-ordained and the only clear signs of observance occur possibly between 250 to 300 years after Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, certainly what we do know of a certainty is that this day and this holiday or this period was certainly thoroughly paganized and continued so throughout the 4th century and uh, many centuries after. It got some resurgence around and after 800 and then continued on into the 12th century where it gained some observance even among some of the Anglo-Saxon and Israelite peoples that have migrated to other lands. But you see, if you point these things out, you're just inaccurate in your representations of history, historical events, and you've gone beyond what is written. And so, as I said, I didn't necessarily want to do a message tonight trying to go into all of the things that we could understand from the pagan aspects or the heathen aspects that have been carried in to the festival. I think the vast majority of Christians really do get it. I think the vast majority of Christians really do understand it. There certainly is probably another portion of Christians that are deeply um, uh, you know, convicted to continue an observance and a celebration and do so for various reasons within their families and so forth. And uh, there are certainly a number of others who have uh, clearly as Christians try to um, center in on the biblical aspects that should be 
the custom that they want to remember or that they are to remember. And so, as I say, I could have spent an hour, hour and a half, a couple hours or whatever, and go through all of those things. But I think it's been done. And so for me to do it is just another reinvention of the wheel. So instead, what I find is most necessary is to consider how do we help others who are coming to certain truths and are grappling with the issues that surround those truths and keep them grounded in their faith and comfortable in their understanding of God and his word. And I think a lot of this detracts from, and there again, the detractions not only the, you know, the heathen or pagan aspects of it, the detraction becomes those who are trying to withdraw from it or pull away from it then become the objects of scorn. And the objects of scorn, that's very difficult for many people to, to deal with. And so they find themselves, um, in spite of what their knowledge has become and what they have learned that can counter, counterdicts the truth, uh, or the things that they have believed were truth in the past, then they find themselves succumbing to the pressures of the latter and therefore find themselves acquiescing, if you will, to the norm and the custom. And I think that this is very dangerous. And I think these are the people that we want to continue to help and we want to continue to assist them in anything that they need regarding what they may feel that they are lacking or what concerns them. So perhaps tonight we'll try to deal with that and not deal with all the aspects of the, the, the paganistic or heathenistic um, aspects that have, have plagued what has been predominantly a Christian um, perceived Christian idea and concept and that being Christmas. So if we set aside the, the debate of Christmas as a pagan holiday or it's the wrong day or it shouldn't be observed and God is against it or he doesn't sanction it, if we could set that aside for a moment, then maybe we can broaden and expand what is the most important thing. And I think that many of you will find that that is where you are in your beliefs. Um, I've had people when, when trying to express their um, continued desires to participate with things that have become paganized or heathenized, uh, it'll be said, well, there's nothing immoral or unrighteous about a tree. Uh, even what you put on it, unless something that you do put on it does or is conveying an immorality, um, they'll ask a question like, well, how is a cut tree somehow more immoral than a cut plant that you put in a vase on your table or any other types of trimmings, et cetera? Um, they'll even 
retort something along the lines, well, a date is a date. It's just a date. It's a date for observance only. It, it, you know, so what if it's connected to pagan deities or other such nonsense? It's just a date that we commemorate. They can commemorate what they want to commemorate on a date, and we can commemorate what we want on a date. Um, okay, you know, if that's the argument, then, you know, we find ourselves once again essentially acquiescing because it's a straw man argument. And what we find is I don't think it should be any surprise to us that we are, as Christians, increasingly under attack and being taken over by what were our cultural norms. So I'm pretty certain that those that will hear this message are completely in agreement with that. And so we shouldn't be offended that one more thing has been taken over or is being attempted to be taken over or is being done, I might say. Um, I think this is an important point. Keeping, observing, celebrating, or honoring something in Jesus' name does not necessarily make it acceptable to do so. Because there are a lot of things that we do that we think we do in God's name or that we do in the name of Christ. Because if we say that we do this or that for Jesus, but by our leaders and elders, we reject the very words that he gave us, the very laws that he commanded us, how do you suppose that he would feel about that? So it really shouldn't be, as I say, any surprise to many of us that Christian customs have been or become paganized. That is, after all, the objective is to turn us from our desire to serve and to do the will of God, giving honor and glory to his name for what he does. And so, therefore, this is a custom worth remembering, the custom of honoring and serving in accordance with the will of the Father, not man's. It's not man's day. It's God's day to command observing the custom of God and his will. I thought maybe I'd quick turn us over to Luke chapter 1. I don't want anybody to stumble. I don't want to stumble. And I'm telling you, I have had people just as recently as the last couple, three weeks that are deeply concerned and do not want to be violating. Um, God's desire, God's will, Christ's commands. They just, I say Christ, God, God in the flesh, Christ, we all get that. And so it's become something that they're, they're interested in because they've been coming to this knowledge and to these truths, and they therefore want to reconcile within their own selves, and they're looking for... Um, 
I guess, an understanding to confirm what they might be believing. And the best way I know to do that is to really stay grounded in the Bible. And as I said, I could spend an hour going over whatever it is that we want to go over about pagan aspects and heathen aspects of of something that is now uh, thoroughly, you know, uh, polluted. But I think that, and a lot of churches obviously are doing the same thing on this day and on this night, is that they're going to the scriptures and they're bringing our minds and our remembrance back to what happened. And I'm just going to flip us over to Luke chapter 1. And let's go to, uh, well, we know John's birth is, is, is being uh, written about here in chapter 1, verse 5, through about 15, 16, 17 here. And then Zacharias says unto the angel, he says, Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife well stricken in years. And the angel said unto him, I am Gabriel, that stands in the presence of God and am sent to speak unto thee and to show thee these glad tidings. And behold, thou shalt be dumb and not able to speak until the day that these things shall be performed, because thou believe not my words, which shall be fulfilled at their season. And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he tarried so long in the temple. And when he came out, he couldn't speak unto them. They perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned unto them. And he remained speechless. It came to pass that as soon as the days of his ministration were accomplished, he departed to his own house. And after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and hid herself five months, saying, Thus has the Lord dealt with me in the days wherein he looked on me to take away my reproach among men. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. The angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Now we can stop there, because there's a very valuable piece of information here. It says that he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. If this one is to reign over the house of Jacob forever, would it not be incumbent upon us to bring into remembrance the house of Jacob? Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing that I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also, That holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her who was was called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. 
And Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. Let's go now to chapter 2. Uh, excuse me, we're still in chapter 1. We're going to go to verse 67. And his father, Zacharias, of course, what we're seeing here is Elizabeth's full-time came uh, here at 57 and came to pass on the eighth day. They came to circumcise the child, and they called him Zacharias after the name of his father. And then... Um, I should probably start with 64. He, uh, he, 63, and he asked for a writing table, and he wrote, saying, His name is John. And they marveled all. And his mouth was opened immediately, and his tongue loosed, and he spake and praised God. And fear came on all that dwelt round about them, and all these sayings were noised abroad throughout all the hill country of Judea. And all they that heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, what manner of child shall this be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. We can stop here. Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. We can also learn of his people back at Jeremiah chapter 3 and verse 8. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mount of his holy prophet, which have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies. Saved from who? Saved from our enemies. And from hand of all that hate us to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore unto our father Abraham, that he would grant unto us that we, being delivered out of the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our lives. And thou, child, shall be called the prophet of the highest, for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high has visited, to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit as was in the deserts till the day of his showing unto Israel. And there is the story about that which was to come before the Savior, John the Baptist. Chapter 2. came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. This taxing was first made by when Serenius was governor of Syria, and all went to be taxed, every one unto his city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there 
were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, good will toward men. And there is the story of Christ's birth. We've got an abundance of scriptures that foretell of this birth. But oftentimes, I think the prophecies regarding these births are sometimes left out or not considered as important. And they're very important. I didn't have time as I began to contemplate something for tonight, not knowing who might be able to join. Or Some had told me that they would be fluid at this time and they would try to you know, give me notification if they knew. And I do recognize and see there are a number of guests that have joined the fellowship tonight that are, are listening only and, and are not logged in to speak, and that's fine because oftentimes uh, many will do that as opposed to joining in. And tonight, per se, we're probably not as open in the fellowship because we're trying to bring about a subject, I suppose, as opposed to just open fellowship. Um, so... Um, there certainly will be a time which we can we can open up and and do some more of that. But um, before I go necessarily to scriptures regarding prophecies, and as I say, I don't have a lot that I, I put together or anything. But some of the things that came to my mind is Matthew chapter 15, uh, beginning at verse 7. It says, you hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, this people draws nigh unto me with their mouth and honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. And oftentimes, I think a lot of people that start to come to the truths begin to say, man, what else is a doctrine of men? You know, am I worshiping in vain? Have I succumbed to something that is not acceptable in God's eyes? And these are the things that many who begin to open up their ears to hear truths that have not been in accordance with the customs of the day and so forth, that they begin to ask themselves, are they being hypocritical? And... These are all questions that the Holy Spirit will answer in these individuals. And 
He will do so because they will continue to hear his word if they stay founded in, in his word. Luke chapter 6, verses 43 through 8, uh, 46 through 8, he says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Whosoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you to whom he's like. He's like a man which builds a house and digs deep and lays a foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently upon that house, and he could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. We want to be founded upon that rock of Christ. And many coming to the new truths that they have been blinded to, either by ministers that have blinded them because they themselves have not been digging or because of the cultural norms or because it's always been done this way. We just do it that way. Whatever it is, we all desire to be founded upon the rock if we truly are desiring to be perfect as he also is perfect, as the scripture says. John chapter 14, verses 22 through 5. I'll begin actually at 21. He says, He that has my commandments and keeps them, he it is that loves me. And he that loves me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Judas said unto him, that is Judas, not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? Jesus answered and said, If a man loves me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loves me not keeps not my saying. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father which sent me. These things I have spoken unto you, being yet present with you. These people that I find that have these questions and have these concerns are not to be trodden underfoot of supposed or so-called Christians, but are rather to be nurtured and cared for, just as Christ nurtured and cared for his apostles to come to the truth and the knowledge of the understanding that God was present among them and that Moses told of him and the prophets spoke of him, spoke of him coming, to redeem his people that had been cast off and divorced and could no longer could no longer find fellowship with God because he had divorced them and cast them off. They were put out away from God. And of course, they believed it. The law of God says that a former woman being married, she could not, a woman, a divorced woman who had been with another man could not remarry her former husband. 
because after that she was defiled. Defiled by what? Defiled by another marriage bed. That's all. And she was not, a woman was not free to remarry unless her husband be dead. Otherwise, she would have been likewise committing the adultery. And so when he cast Israel off and divorced her, he put her away with a bill of divorcement. That's what the scripture says. For all her backsliding ways, I put her away with a bill of divorcement. Jeremiah 3, eight. Jeremiah 31, 31. And when he put her away and divorced her, Israel, that meant they were cut off. And the law of God forbid a woman divorced from her husband. Israel was God's bride. God was Israel's husband. And if they be cast off and divorced and had gone whoring after others, they could not be reunited with God because after that they were defiled. So says the scripture. But God in his infinite grace and mercy and his plan knew exactly what he was going to do to redeem them. He was going to come as his only begotten son, born of the Virgin Mary. And he would lay down his life. In other words, God the Father would die. The the husband of Israel would die and raise himself back up to be God over Israel again. Matthew 7, verse 21. He that has my commandments and keeps them, he it is that loves me. And he that loves me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. See, that's how we know. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. And so I am trying to act soberly. Not just cavalierly saying, well, you don't believe this or you don't believe that, so therefore you must be, you must not be a Christian. You know, no. No, not at all. Brethren. Brethren needing to continue to be grounded upon the foundation and the rock, being soberly minded, looking at these things and looking at what the world does with the things of God. 
So it's no accident that the world would do with the things of God that they do with something that Christians have venerated as a Christian celebration, even though it was founded upon an improper foundation. So we find ourselves in a precarious position of of looking at ourselves and saying, gee, what is this? You know, well then do we cast everything off? And the answer is absolutely no. We learn from it. And we say glory to God, praise be to God for his tender mercy that he could endure us for a hundred years, for two hundred years, for six hundred years, for eight hundred years. And don't cast dispersions on somebody else because they've come to a knowledge and a point in which, as the scripture says, one day esteem one man esteems one day over another. Well, okay, you esteem this day. If there is something correct that you need to know about the day or esteeming a day, it is not a fault for someone to point that out. Because in pointing it out, it could correct a wrong. And if in correcting a wrong, it brings us closer to Christ, then glory to God. One other thought that I had was this one here in Amos chapter 3, verse 7. As we think about the things that God wants us to do, surely the Lord God, Amos chapter 3, verse 7, will do nothing but that he reveals his secrets unto his servants, the prophets. Surely the Lord God will do nothing but that he reveal it unto his prophets. Has this been revealed to us that we are to honor a day or observe a day for the birth of Christ? We just read a record of the birth of Christ but we did not read a record that we shall keep and observe this day neither were we given a day. So I often say how we have a need to step back and look at the big picture. And I think and believe that for the most part, many people in the Christian world have taken a step back from what has happened with Christmas from a Christian's perspective. But frankly, I don't know that anybody knows a Christmas but from a perspective in America, if you will. And from what I know of the perspective in America, at least in our time, our modern time, within the last couple of hundred years, this is what's been known of Christmas. It's a time to take leave from work and labors. 
It's a time to remember the birth. It was a time to fellowship with like-minded people. But the early Christians that came to the American continent so hated and despised the day known as Christmas, December 25th, as the Romans had accosted the day to, um, you know, uh, to be the day and had uh, decreed, if you will, that day as being the day. They had so hated it and so despised it that they did not hold it in high regard or veneration. And they cast it aside as another one of those worldly things that, you know, Papal Rome was, was up to. The, the world church, if you will, the, the, the grand design to force everybody into, into the one world church cult, if you will. And so they did not profess and did not um, hold one of those days or hold that day in, in very high regard. And that, that is the, the early, the early founders of the country as opposed to, say, those that followed and became the framers of the Constitution. Um, people will even cite, well, Christmas was observed. George Washington went across the, the river, you know, on Christmas Day and, and uh, things of that, you know, that nature. Uh, yeah, but as I've pointed out in uh, America's Constitutional Idolatry series is that um, there is a difference between America's founders and America's framers. Uh, there's a couple hundred years that transpired between the 1500s and the late 1700s, and we find the same things occurring then is that we became more, um, you know, paganized or uh, one of the terms that is used uh, by me is um, how syncretized the, because that's what the word syncretism means, how the, the attempts were being made to syncretize the religious beliefs of Roman Catholicism and Judaism and, and you know, uh, Islam and other types of, of religious beliefs um, and, and syncretize them to, to go together. And Catholicism has been involved in this for the longest of time and have been continuing to try to push uh, changes in the biblical record and, and everything from Westcott and Hort to, to many others um, that, that have also uh, been in and out of the church history and, and Americans Christian, America's Christian history as well, as well. So those are some thoughts that I had uh, scripture-wise, you know, uh, that I know that some people have as they think about these things and they worry, are they being a hypocrite and things of that nature. And then finding social compatibility, um, you know, is always something that becomes difficult as well because there are some that, um, you know, feel like if they go here or there, then they'll somehow be, you know, um, you know, uh, participating in a in a pagan festival, if you will, and 
each of these things has to be dealt with by every individual and come to the um, um, the peace of God and within them and the, and their spiritual understanding and and where they are and not be casting dispersions on others who have firm understanding and belief uh, and therefore have you know cast off observances in that fashion or in that manner and I I know as I say there are a lot of Christians that are doing this more and more and are worried that they're going to become outcasts within their own families and so forth um, some of the um, scriptures I thought that maybe I might also read were out of the book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah. And I think I'm going to go to Isaiah chapter 1 for beginnings just to maybe set the stage for, um, I guess, the thought in our mind as to the historical context. Um, this is the vision of Isaiah, the son of Amoz, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Isaiah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. I'm now at verse 2 in Isaiah 1. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. The ox knows his owner, the ass his master's crib, but Israel does not know my people. Excuse me, Israel does not know. My people do not consider. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors, they have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger, and they are gone away backward. Why should you be stricken any more? You will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick, and the whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there is no soundness in it but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They have not been closed, neither bound up, neither modified, mollified rather, with ointment. Your country is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. Your land, strangers devour it in your presence, and it is desolate as overthrown by strangers. And daughter of Zion is left as a cottage in the vineyard, as a lodge in a garden of cucumbers, as a besieged city. Except the Lord of hosts had left unto us a very small remnant, we should have been as Sodom and Gomorrah. Or excuse me, had been as Sodom, and we should have been like unto Gomorrah. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear unto the law of God, you people of Gomorrah. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me, says the Lord? I am full of the burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts, and I delight not in the blood of bullocks or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required this at your hand to tread my courts? Bring no more vain oblations of incense is an abomination unto me. The new moons and Sabbaths, the callings of assemblies, I cannot away with it, this iniquity, even the solemn meaning. 
your new moons, your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They are a trouble unto me. I am weary to bear them. And when you spread forth your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Yea, when you make prayers, I will not hear your hand. I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. So we've got, once again, another admonishment that he seeks to to show us that there are things in which we do, things in which Israel and Judah here, in the case of Judah, was engaged in. He'd already peeled and cried under Israel to turn from their ways. He said in the scriptures that, that Judah feared not, and she went and played the harlot also. And so there's a valuable understanding in learning of the, the customs and traditions, if you will, and the, um, those things that were not right in the sight of God. And so as others are looking at these things, they're, they're yearning to do more and to be inspired and encouraged to do more, to be right in the eyes of God. So the minute you say that, some will say, well, it sounds like you're an advocate for, uh, uh, for uh, works, Brother Doug. Well, um, works without faith is dead. Faith without works is dead. You know, um, if Christ told us to be in obedience to his command or his words and his will, and we know the commands and the will that he has for us and that he's given and has been recorded for us in his word, we certainly have enough to go on to know what his will and his command is. And so a lot of people are sitting there going, I, is, this, is this part of his will? To worship him and to honor him and to acknowledge him is his will. Um, to observe a day or, a, you know, um, this this begs the the responsibility for us to say, okay, is is a day important? And one has to come to a conclusion. Certainly, the Passover was important. God specifically gave a date and a time for the Passover, and Christ was our Passover. He was the Lamb of God, given for the remission of the sins. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 9 while we're there. And bring our attention to uh, probably, well, 9 verse 6. This is the prophecy that we're told of. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. We're going to back up because I skipped that one in chapter 7. Chapter 7, verse 13, and he said, Hear you now, O house of David, is it a small thing for you to weary men, but will you weary my God also? 
Therefore the Lord God himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. Continuing on in Isaiah to chapter 35, going to look at verses 5 and 6. Maybe we might start at 4. Say unto them that are of a fearful heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, even God with a recompense. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as a heart, and the tongue of the dumb sing, for in the wilderness shall waters break out and the streams in the desert. Obviously a prophecy of, of the, the, the blind man who was going to see and skip about, which is the way the scripture conveys it. Hundreds of years later, uh, the eyes of the blind will be open. So um, more prophecies about this coming Messiah that this Redeemer, this Emmanuel, God with us, that was going to, going to once again make that covenant whole. While I'm thinking of that, let's go to Hebrews chapter 8 and read that very important um, I was just wondering if there was something there. We're going to go to Hebrews 8. Let's begin at 7. He says, For if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. For finding fault with them, he said, Behold, the days come, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in that day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt because they continued not in my covenant and I regarded them not, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. Once again, who was the covenant to be made with? He says, with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Would it not be prudent for us to know and understand if there is a new covenant being made, who that new covenant is being made with, the house of Israel and the house of Judah? It certainly must be important enough that it was written to tell us and convey to us that there was going to be a new covenant made with the same people he had the first covenant with, Jacob Israel. go to Isaiah chapter 
Oh, I already did 35, 5, 6, and 7. Um, and I had some notes for Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40, chapter, uh, verses 4 through 11. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. All flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord spoken has spoken it. The voice said, Cry. And he said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all the goodliness thereof is as the flower of the field. The grass withereth, the flower fades, because the Spirit of the Lord has blowed upon it. Surely the people is grass. The grass withereth, the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. O Zion, that bringeth good tidings, get thee up in the high mountains. O Jerusalem, that brings, glo- uh, brings God, uh, good, good tidings, lift up thy voice with strength. Lift it up, be not afraid. Say unto the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God will come with strong hand, and his arm shall rule uh, for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work before him. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm, and carry them into his bosom, and shall gently lead those that are with young. Wow, it's just another example of how he treats us, just like a flock, just sheep that he just pulls together, gently leading us, gently encouraging us, and ever so patient with ever so much grace abounding. I had Isaiah chapter 60 here also. Arise, shine, for the light is come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon thee. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. But the Lord shall rise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee. And the nations shall come to thy light, and kings to the brightness of thy rising. And that's what happened. When God came down to earth and redeemed his people, bringing them back unto him, the whole world thought, the whole world knew of it. It was noised abroad. You could not you could not help but having come to the knowledge that there was a God, indeed a God of creation, and he so loved his people and was so true to his word that he could not lie, that he came and laid himself down as his only begotten son, born of a woman, to be raised back up, to be ruler over exactly what we heard in chapter 2 of Luke, a ruler of his people, Israel. Second Timothy 2, verses 7 to 8. 
Consider what I say, and the Lord gives thee understanding in all things. Remember that Jesus Christ, of the seed of David, was raised from the dead according to his gospel. That was the gospel that Paul was preaching to Timothy. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 14. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? That actually word, that word, as I've pointed out many, many times, everywhere it's used in the scripture should be Judean. <clears throat> For more on that, you'll have to contact him and lead you to some messages that will help you, guide you through the scriptures on that. For who he that is born king of the Judeans. For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and all the scribes of the people together, he demanded of them. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Thus it is written, All right. Um, what was I? When Herod the king heard these things, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes, All right, um, I've got somebody that has came on that um, is causing, oh, well, they just left. All right, I'm not sure what was going on there. I had somebody that was kind of causing some confusion on the, uh, on the uh, connection line, uh, getting some interruptions on the signal here, but I'll try to get that corrected. Um, if that guest wants to try to call back in, that would be fine. But be careful on the muting, that you don't mute and unmute and keep muting and unmuting. Um, best to go ahead and maybe leave it open right now and just try to remain silent or uh, uh, just mute your microphone on the display of your phone rather than pushing star six. Um, and perhaps that will uh, give you an opportunity to stay on the call and then I can uh, uh, reach you as we uh, as we see that we're we're operating good. So if you are listening, you can try that. So here we were in four of Matthew chapter two, and when he gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born, and they said unto him in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, and thou Bethlehem in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah. For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared, and he sent to them to Bethlehem and said, Go search diligently for the young child in which you have found when you found him, bring him bring me word again, that I may come and worship him also. When they had heard the king, they departed, and, lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them until it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. 
And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned of Herod, in a, warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, and take the young child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and be thou there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child. Young king over Judea. So I wasn't coming through? Okay. All right. Well, I apologize for that. I've been out uh, here and haven't been uh, been uh, muted yet uh, uh, from that little uh, situation that I had, and I forgot to unmute. So anyhow. All right. Well, we've read that scripture there at Matthew 2, 1 to 14, and concluded that. I believe I have. Maybe I didn't, but uh, we did read all the way through 14, so if that did not come through, I apologize for that. Um, once again, as I said, I didn't have anything specifically, um, you know, that I guess that I thought I was just completely inspired and led to do, um, per se, other than I was uh, mindful of the many people who have been coming to these truths that um, there are many problems with things that we have done as Christians. Uh, customs and traditions and so forth. And um, a lot of people have become very concerned. And I've had a number of people express to me these things. Uh, They feel out of place at uh, this time of year. Um, They find that they uh, don't seem to have people to fellowship with because if they've taken a position that they're not going to participate with these certain aspects of things that have become um, uh, customs and traditions which are not very Christian-like, certainly, uh, then then they're quite concerned about it. And they want to be doing Christ's will. And as I say, there are those that will throw out Romans 14 and say, well, you know, one one man esteems one day, another the other, uh, meets, et cetera. And the point is, is that... Um, if you esteem that day and you reverence that day and you are going to honor and observe that that day or that time for the purposes that you believe God has placed uh, in you, then you will do what has been laid in you. Uh, what I think many of us find is more and more we begin to um, have more discernment and we don't want to cast family or other members and uh, you know off to the side. Um, certainly, who doesn't want a time of fellowship with family? Who doesn't want a time when uh, the world stops working, if you will, and takes leisure? Um, and and that time is is offered, you know. Um, and so uh, certainly. Um, this becomes that 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 time of year where these things are granted, 
and they have become part of our customs and our cultural norms. It doesn't necessarily mean that the way that they are being practiced is acceptable to God, and we have to always look to the Word and see the ways in which the things that we did do were abhorrent to God. And um, so I may not have done a real good job here tonight of trying to convey some of those things, um, but um, it was something that I think began to weigh heavily on my heart. Um, and um, I know that we have another family that we have acquaintance with that um, the wife had expressed last year at this time certain things of her understanding. And as I say, the, there is so much information that's coming out lately and so much information that is accessible to people through the advent of the Internet and YouTube and other things that makes it very easy to reach hundreds of thousands of people. And um, so in that uh, manner, lots and lots of people are being uh, are hearing things that they did not know and did not hear before. And along with those things, I wanted to offer a measure of encouragement to those who are feeling uh, isolated and, and uh, having concerns of that nature, and certainly having concerns themselves about uh, things um, in their own Christian walk and wanting to really not do anything that that God you know would see as uh, as offensive to him and I think that the answer lies in the scripture and how God calls us and how he reaches out to us and when we stay grounded in his word and we stay grounded in that rock and that foundation um, that's where that's where our our enjoyment comes from, and that's where we um, become more grounded, I guess. I, that's not the word I'm looking for. That's where we become more confirmed uh, in our conviction. And um, we stand uh, before God with a clean heart about the things that we do and the actions and the positions that we've taken. And that's what God's always been looking for. As we step back and look at the big picture, he would rather have righteousness than he would have obedience. And that was something that he conveyed to one of our very first kings. And um, so I, I didn't say that right, I don't think. <laughs> he would rather have obedience than he would have sacrifice and so, in other words, the custom of the sacrifice, uh, if you will, is not and was not as important to him as was the obedience. And um, obedience to his will, obedience to his word. And I know that that's why what a lot of Christians find themselves in is desiring so much to be in accord with his will and in accord with obedience. And so the way we do it and... My measure of assistance in this, hopefully, was to help us to stay grounded in the foundation of our scripture and to teach it and to share it and to let that be the glory that shines 
for each and every one of us as we are in this period of time where family members that we haven't seen, we haven't had chances to fellowship, we haven't had chances to share the gospel with, share the good news, share the message, and things of that nature, it gives us greater opportunities uh, to do it because there is now a relief, if you will, uh, from the world's effect upon us and the labors that we have to labor in uh, under the world system. So there's so much that we all see that's wrong with the system, wrong with even professing ourselves to be Christians and finding it is. It's a mockery. of It becomes a mockery. You know, people look at a Christian and say, well, you don't believe in not taking usury, obviously, because you're one of the world's practitioners of usury. I mean, you're you're not very good at this because you you know you kill you know kill babies in the womb uh, you know and it just goes on and on and on and so in a sense we become our own worst enemies because we have allowed the enemies of Christ to water down or paganize or heathenize everything that Christ and God is about and so that becomes our burden. Uh, when we are in Christ because we want to do his will and uh, find it increasingly hard to do his will and abide in his word uh, in the world system. So with that, I think I'll conclude and say um, to all of you that may have an opportunity to have heard this live tonight and those that will uh, hear it later, I hope and trust that it's been edifying for you. And uh, as I said, I don't claim to be God's gift of oration. Um, and this may not have been the most inspiring message uh, at all or fellowship, but it was something that I believed was necessary and thought could be a measure of help uh, in the darkness that surrounds us in uh, the ways of the world that are smothering us. So with that, I'll close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I do thank you for the opportunity to come before some of your people in fellowship and share with them what it means to me, what the custom and the understanding of the custom of your grace, mercy, your gospel message that's so clearly laid out in brevity in 1 Corinthians for us. And so, Father, um, I just thank you for the opportunity and, and pray that wherever it goes, it will provide fruit and bear fruit and uh, be edifying to those of your people. And again, Father, I thank you for all that you do to watch over your flock each and every day and to keep them in your care and your tender mercies and I pray for their, uh, your blessing upon their safe travels back to their homes and wherever they are going to. I ask these things in the blessed holy name of your Son, and thank you. Amen.